we need to reframe how we think about the purpose of DEI and the business case around it because it is urgent. And the other thing is that we need to change the way that we view the efforts around it. A lot of times leaders see it as this big, overwhelming, uncomfortable thing, and it does not need to be that way at all. Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to The Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with a wonderful lady I've recently met. The name is Melina Cordero. She's a former corporate executive known for navigating the complexities of the boardroom, conference stages in the industries of real estate, private equity, and even HR. Leaving corporate America behind, Melina found a turning point when she realized such discontent in 2020, seeing the prevailing burnout that was really affecting all of us, right, in every way, shape, and form. So having dealt with extreme burnout herself, Melina was determined to understand the root cause. She delved into diverse fields, ranging from management science to organizational psychology to the history of office design. Ooh talk about a rich background. So recognizing the need for substantial changes to thrive in a post-pandemic world, Melina redirected her passion towards assisting individuals and organizations in adapting. And she now had a newfound purpose. She left her corporate career behind, committing to transforming the future of work and launching P20 Workplace. Welcome, Melina Cordero. How are you? Thank you, Fran. I'm doing very well. I'm excited to kick off 2024. As am I. I can't believe it. We started a new year. So exciting, right? The, la- the, the landscape is clean. Start afresh. Begin to recreate anew. Yeah, all the, all the feelings, all the emotions, yeah. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> well, let's start with that because I think that for me, at least, you know, I think about, you know, planning out the year. I get my journal. I plan with my different teams. I plan with my husband. And I love it because, again, it's like opening a fresh book. There's nothing there and you really get to design. I, I kind of think of myself as an artist in always in, in um, incubation, right? So as you think about the design of, as you said, the future of work and designing this new workplace, I'm just so curious as a curator yourself, what's bubbling up for you? Well, I think there's a need to shift the conversation and change the conversation we're having, right, around the workplace. And away from just profit and growth and, you know, optimization to really what what you do, what I do, which is how do people feel? How inclusive and fair is this? Um, and I think that right now what what's coming up as we shift into 2024 is if we think about uh, the, you know, what you mentioned earlier, the fundamental change that occurred in our world and in our workplaces in 2020. We can't deny that. We all know it. We felt it. We lived it. We worked it. It happened. Um, 
There were a lot of new investments in things like diversity, equity, inclusion, wellness. There were all of these investments and, and, and momentum behind these initiatives. And now we're three years in. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is a mix of, you know, the economy is changing. We're in an election year, but also it was sort of, okay, well, we've been doing this this way for three years and it's not, okay, well, are we really getting what we hope to from it? Nothing's really changing. And so in some cases we're seeing a, a bit of a fatigue. Some people call it like DEI fatigue and a sort of pause and a pullback. And in other cases, it's more of a, all right, we, it's time to shift strategies. It's time to try something new. It's time to shift gears. So I think for me and and what I do, that's the big thing I'm seeing in 2024 and separating out, you know, those leaders and those organizations that are, let's shift, let's do this, let's innovate. And those that are, that just kind of stop. I love that. I think that's a great place to start the conversation because I think for people who sit outside the, the industry, it's always interesting to me to interview heads of teams or, you know, heads of talent or CHROs or to speak to them and hear how they digest what we do. Because to to me, it's still interesting, almost 30 years in the industry, how it's still somewhat a nice to have. And as you just mentioned, even though we've gone through a series of major shifts in, in life, right? These are life shifts. These aren't just workplace shifts. These are you know, the pandemic was a life shift. You know, how do you just find a way to function through this crazy, abnormal thing we're calling life? Um, people are still making it secondary, right? They're making life, well-being, choices, mental health, um, you know, just cultural inclusion and connection, a secondary premise rather than a forthright premise. So I'd love for you to dissect a little bit with your work at P20 Workplace. You know, how, what's the lens that you really start to start with with your clients to help them uncover, you know, hey, this is not a nice to have. This is an imperative. If you don't get it right, you may not have employees in the future. And forget the future of work. You may not have employees in the future, period. So, yeah. How do, yeah. You, how do you start that conversation? It's a great question. The way that I view it, if we think about, you know, every leader, every organization, everyone sort of sits on a spectrum. And at one end, you have, uh, individuals, organizations that don't see a problem. They don't see something worth investing in. They don't believe that that's something that deserves company resources or attention, right? So that's one extreme. On the other extreme, you have very proactive, um, you know, what, what sometimes we would call anti-racist, very proactively working um, to combat inequities and inequalities, very active, right? So that's the other end of that spectrum. And the, the truth is that most people fall somewhere in the middle. And so depending on where they fall and and one area where I see a lot of people falling um, or sitting, right, is I I get it. I see it's important, um, but I'm not really sure how to do it. I'm not really sure what power I have to change it. And also, I'm really overwhelmed by all the other priorities I have as a leader or manager that seem more important, right, or more immediate, I should say. And so depending on where someone sits, um, or where an organization sits on that spectrum, we have to have a different conversation. So with some folks, I'm having the conversation of, um, okay, we know it's important, but what we've been doing isn't working and we want to try something new. What do we do? Let's do it. Those are fun, right? Because it's like, okay, let's go. They're all in. They're all, all in. in. Ready, ready. Like, great. Those are, it's great. Like, let's, yeah. let's go. And yes. then the other conversations I'm having 
um, which I also enjoy, to be honest, because I think any conversation where we're moving people along that spectrum is fantastic and it's progress. The other conversation I'm having is like, I, I get it's important. Like I, I understand conceptually, but listen, I mean, it's not really something that's hitting our bottom line. It's not something that's hitting our top line. It, we, we're just lost. And a lot of what's behind that is I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm a little lost and I'm a little uncomfortable um, because I don't know where to start. And I've got a million other things to do that my boss or my executive board or, you know, whoever is holding me accountable for. And no one's holding me accountable for specific DEI metrics. So, I, uh, you know, in this journey of life, as we talked about at the start of the conversation, there's always too much to do. We're constantly having to prioritize and put things on the back burner. And so one of the pieces of, of conversation that I have with folks in that position is we need to reframe how we how we think about the, the purpose of DEI and, and the business case around it, because it is urgent. Um, and the other thing is that we need to change the way that we view the efforts around it. So I think a lot of times uh, leaders see it as this big, overwhelming, uncomfortable thing, and it does not need to be that way at all. And actually the accumulation of tons of teeny little shifts and changes in practices and actions is actually what drives the most sustainable change. And so changing how we think about what DEI work actually looks like, I think is also part of the solution here. It's so interesting as you were sharing that, you know, what came to my mind, I have a very disparate mind. So I just want everybody to know that if this is the first time to you, the optimized workplace, you will find I dance all over the universe. And my it drives my husband crazy because I'm, I'm talking about one thing and then I'll shift to another. He's like, what are you talking about? You're not even listening to me. But my point is that as you said that, I said, oh, that's why we have uh, shows on TV like The Talk and The View. Because you said, as you reframe, you have to talk about it, which creates the sustainable change. The more you talk about it, and you also have to look at your view and understand and appreciate other people's views. So the talk and the view, no, no surprise there. So I want to come back to this. But before I do, I would like for our listeners, I know you, I know your bio, you know, we're colleagues and we're you're hopefully going to be doing some work together in 2024. But for people who are like, hmm. Melina Cordero, I want to address the elephant in the room. So, you know, your background is is real estate, private equity, moving and shifting, you know, sustainable spaces and all of that stuff. And you you went through this metamorphosis of change and challenge. And so now you're in the DEI world. So how do you address that conversation or that question when it comes up? Mm, what do you know about DEI, Melina? What do any of us know about DEI, right? <laughs> and I say that in the sense of this is a space that is so constantly evolving that what we need isn't necessarily certificates and diplomas and specific resume bullet points. What we need is, is commitment to the goal, to the mission, and constant learning. In my view, we can't just go get a certificate, and there are lots of them out there, and then we're ready to go. This is a constant learning. You have to be committed to constantly learning, constantly adjusting. And it is not a space where you're perfect. So there's this idea that, oh, if you if you do DEI for a living, you must never get it wrong. And that is just, and I'm sure you can and you, relate. And you know the resources. And because you're of a certain complexion yeah. or you understand a certain lingo, you understand and get it. Where I find, you know, not to go there, but I'm going to go there. I do find it. sometimes within a particular group, subgroup, ethnicity, cultural, whatever, there can be its own biases. 
So that's a whole other elephant. We won't go there today, but you know what I'm talking about. So unpack that a little bit because you come with a different lens. What's possible? What I think is important here in my work is approaching it with the full transparency that I just mentioned. This is my background. I worked in the business world. I was uh, a lot of times the only woman in the room or on the Zoom. I was almost always the only Hispanic. I was usually the youngest. And I had a very different socioeconomic background to most of my colleagues. So I was very used to being the only ex in a space. Um, And so I brought that experience, but that's not everyone's experience, right? Just because I had those experiences, that is not the experience of every woman or person of color or anyone who feels underrepresented. And so, you know, one of the things that I make a big effort to do is being very open about my own limitations. Because everybody has limitations in this work and everyone needs to feel that they can have limitations and still make progress. And one of the biggest challenges holding leaders back from this work, I think, is this fear that a lot of leaders feel that we have to always get it right. We have to always be. And I'm not just talking about DEI leaders. I'm talking about leaders. There's this tremendous pressure to always be right, to never be wrong, to never mess up. And this work is all about getting things wrong. (laughs) And what we do, what we do yeah, from there. It's all right? about the mess. It's all about the mess. It's a relationship, right? I mean, we're talking about relationships of people. How is that going to be perfect? I, I love how you're, yeah. you know, yeah. you're suggesting that. So if that is the case, then talk a little bit about the overlap. Cause you know, obviously I get it when it comes to the well-being overlap, right? You know, yeah. you talk my language is all about. The Fran ooze, I get it. Mm. But for those who don't, what what does you know DEI have to do with well-being and why is that important and where's their overlap? And I'd love you to address because you sat in the real estate industry for so long, for the leaders who are on this call who come from either the C-suite or they're coming from uh at the lens of you know construction and real estate or or um models where they have to think about now the ESG component, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how does that trifecta, ESG, well-being, and DI, how does that play? How can they all play nice? And how do they parlay together? So many acronyms, right? Yeah. So many acronyms in this in this world. Um, so I'm going to try and break it down and make it simple and make it all make sense. So first on well-being, there is an incredible correlation that I've seen, that you've seen, that we've all lived, and that the research says between wellness and these initiatives around diversity, equity, inclusion, and I would argue leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, We know throughout the pandemic, this became a big headline. People were quitting jobs at record high rates, including me. I was part of the great resignation. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) who was quitting jobs, though? She gladly says, you guys didn't see her. If you're you're only on audio, she's flexing a little (laughs) <laughs> I'm proud of that. You know, I was part of it. I don't want to say I started the trend, but I was part of it. <laughs> um, but in terms of well-being, what we know is that people were really unhappy and are really unhappy. And actually, even today, three years, four years post-pandemic, uh, Gallup just came out with their uh, a regular survey that they do uh, measuring employee engagement. And it's at the lowest level that's been in. Uh, I think ever, or if not in the, you know, the recent past. So people are unhappy. But what's interesting is that when you dig into the data, the individuals and the groups that experienced the highest rates of burnout, depression, and anxiety in the workplace were women and people of color. No surprise. And it's, do you say it is surprising or it's not surprising? No surprise there. 
Yeah, yeah. not surprising. It's sad, but it's no surprise. It's sad, but it's no surprise. And and but what I think is interesting about the data is it it sort of opened up the dialogue for us to talk about why. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the why, there's so much of the experience. You know, I mentioned my experience of being the only ex in a room. Now, there's very little discussion, open discussion around the stress of that experience. So I'll use that as a particular example. We talk about microaggressions and, and the sort of explicit and implicit biases people face all the time. Those are all examples of, of things that cause stress and those stressors build up over time. But let's talk about the specific instance of being the only ex in a room. You are underrepresented in a space on a regular basis. There is psychological studies showing that that experience is very stressful. Um, So imagine being in a meeting. If you're in meetings five hours of your day, which I was a lot of times, and you're consistently the only person in the meeting, your stress levels are higher during those meetings. You feel um, you're being you have sort of more of a of a flashlight on you, right? People can notice you more because you feel more aware. And that was even more the case when we all had to look at our own faces on Zoom, right? Um, especially for Still women. Is sometimes. <laughs> I know, it's exhausting. And yeah. you know what, what you and I talked about briefly at the start of our conversation, that women feel that we have to present um, ourselves a little bit more polished. We always have to have makeup. We have to have our hair done. We can't dress X, Y, or Z. Um, which the research tells us that, yeah, we do have to do that because if we don't, uh, we're perceived unprofessional, whereas men have a lot more sort of latitude when it comes to how they dress and and, and behave. Um, and so all of these stressors that we experience of being underrepresented in a space, uh, sometimes if you've heard of the term code switching, the need to sort of adjust your behavior and what would be your natural way of speaking or interacting with people. You have to change that to sort of quote unquote fit into a specific setting. That's burdensome. And what the research has found is that that added up over time is a big driver of burnout, depression, anxiety. And if you're a leader and you're, you know, you want productivity, it's a huge productivity deterrent. It it limits our ability. I remember after every single call I had, I had to go and, and do, like I had to sit in silence. I had to breathe. I had to jump up and down. I had to develop these practices to, to, to get my energy back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To shake things off. Because in addition, throughout those conversations, people are dismissing me or they're talking over me or that all the long list of things that, that women and people of color experience in a workplace. So Lots of people don't know about this. They're not aware that these are these extra burdens that we carry and that weigh us down and that make us exhausted, right? Because the other thing about burnout, and I can talk about in my case, I didn't feel exhausted from the job. I had a big job. I had a lot of stuff to do, but that didn't intimidate me or tire me out. What exhausted me was all of that stuff I just talked about. Dealing with the people, <laughs> dealing with the people, having to defend myself. I, you know, walking and here's another example. I was serving on a panel for a senior audience in, at an evening event in an office in New York city. Uh, I was a panelist and I walked in and I went to the front desk and I told the young man who was at the front desk, I said, hi, I'm here for the event. And he said, oh, are you with catering? And that was a perfect example. Right. And by the way, This was a young black man. So 
So this is not just, you know, and, and it could have been a woman too, right? So these are biases that we all carry with us, but we're constantly having to deal with. And that knock that you mentioned earlier, sometimes it's within the same, you know, groups, subgroups. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We as women have a lot of the same gender biases that, that men do. We automatically tend to take, you know, a man's voice more seriously or see it more as more authoritative than a woman's voice. This is not a man versus woman versus whatever gender thing. These are human biases. Yeah. Well, that was a lot. (laughs) But it's wonderful because I think that it informs. Well, first of all, I wanted my, you know, guests, you you don't talk a lot about, uh, I know in your work uh, about, you know, your incredible portfolio of work. And, you know, your experience. So if you want to check her out, go to LinkedIn and see. I mean, she's, this woman is the real deal, but she's done that because you want to give complete platform to the work that you're in now. And so I love that, but I I love the fact that you were willing to unpack at least, hey, I'm coming with street cred. I know what I'm talking about. Having lived it and now shifting into being a, a provider of a solution for it. So I want to go back then to since we've unpacked where you've come from and the challenge we have, I'd love to talk about solutions, right? Because at the Optimized Workplace, you know, I'm all about bringing solutions to our audience, bringing solutions to our clients and though to our listeners. Even if you you never become an, a client of Aerobodies and you're just pulling down the white papers that we have on our website for free on a constant basis, no disc, but they are. And, um, you know, you're constantly looking at, you know, the free resources we put out there because we pump out a lot. That can teach you a lot. So that's great because you're still a procurer of informational resources that you're trying to make things better for yourself and your team and your organization. So let's talk about the solution. And again, at P20, how you all start to approach um, solution-based efforts with clients. So I'm dealing with burnout. I'm dealing with my team, not healthy, not well. You know, we've started the new year. I've seen the you know, the the Planet Fitness um, uh, advertisements with Megan the Stallion. And quite frankly, we're not going there either. Um, <laughs> we know we got DEI problems, right? And we know we're at an all-time low with engagement because I can't give bonuses and people are all fretted about the election. And, oh, let's remember, there's a war going on. So all of the, 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 the following is going on. How do we start to talk about solutions in a practical, pragmatic way that's sensible and that really you know, it's it's an effort that will really make change. Yeah, I think it's a really great question to start with, right? Because when we think of solution, the solution here is not an answer. So you just listed out a portion of the things that, that leaders are facing right now multiple wars, geopolitical events and and national elections that I that we mentioned because today part of the post-2020 leadership experience and imperatives that you actually have to respond to these things. You can't not, right? So all of these things, plus, you know, you have to run a company or a team or whatever. And so the first thing I want to say about the quote unquote solution is you don't need to have the answer. And what I would say to any leader who's grappling with this long list of what do I do's is start with saying very openly, we've got a lot of challenges. And we may not be able to solve every single one, but we're going to do our best to try. So that's first. It's sort of take the pressure off of needing to have the perfect response to a war, um, the perfect DEI strategy right outside of the bat, um, making sure everyone is retained, you know, all of these things. Start with 
being open that these are some challenges and these are the things that we want to focus on and work on with your people. Don't just keep that conversation in the boardroom or in the C-suite. Share that with your people. Because a lot of times, and I see this in in the surveys that I run with organizations, um, one of the biggest things that leaders can do is just be visible in the efforts that they're making. So a lot of times they think that the only time an employee is really going to value what they do is that they see results. And actually, um, you know, nine times out of 10, when I've been brought into an organization to, to help fix a DEI challenge or build up a base, the amount of times I hear, I'm just so happy that they're investing in this. I'm just so happy that they're doing something, right? And so the impact that you have there. So that's the first thing. Be very open that these are challenges that are evolving and that that you're committed to. Be open with your commitment and 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 how humble you are about the reality of these challenges. The second, this is a big one, and I probably shouldn't give this away because it's completely free, just like your white papers, right? <laughs> Here's one thing that I find myself saying over and over and over again to leaders, ask your people. So I'll give the example. I'm I'm working an organization in in my old commercial real estate space. And and the leader said to me, you know, Melina, what should we do for Women's History Month? I just, I feel like we should do something because it is important. And I want our female colleagues and clients to know that, that it is important to us. But putting up a post on LinkedIn or sending a memo just doesn't really feel authentic either to the cause or even to us and how we do things. It feels a little too corporate, a little too box ticky. What should we do? And I and I could tell that that leader had been grappling with this question and was really struggling. And he was a male leader um, and it was coming from a really genuine place. And I just stopped and I looked at him and I said, have you asked your female colleagues, your teammates? Have you posed the question to your people and said, hey, we want to do something that makes you feel supported and valued. What would make you feel that way? Are there specific things we could do? And so, <laughs> again, nine times out of 10, when it comes to, um, for example, DEI committees that are trying to figure out, you know, where should we start? What should we do? Mm-hmm. And you sit in a room and you close the door or on a Zoom and you struggle and you try and guess and then you debate over which one is best. Stop and ask your people. Do a survey. Make some calls. And not only does that take some of the burden off of you of brainstorming and figuring out the quote unquote solution to go back to the S word, it also makes your people feel heard. Mm. And that, again, similar to, to that first point is really important. So those are two really, really tactical things that you can do. But I think that the, the other component to uh, solutions here is that, it, as I mentioned, with DEI work in general, it's got to be ongoing. So how are you keeping the conversation ongoing? And so it's not about fixing every single DEI problem or challenge that you have on a consistent basis, although that would be ideal. What's even more important than that is having the conversation consistently. So what that can mean, and that can look lots of different ways. It doesn't need to mean you need to do a specific training every single month. It could be that you're going to set aside time as I developed with one organization I worked with, they really wanted to be having the conversation more often. And they have a monthly staff meeting with, you know, all 50 people in in the office. And I said, all right, let's carve out 15 minutes, 20 minutes of that staff meeting and pick a team, a theme, a topic, a question um, and uh, that's related to diversity, equity, inclusion, perhaps even that's submitted by someone on the team. Again, ask your people 
and just make space for that conversation. And in that conversation, you don't need to solve the problem. You don't need to make massive promises around anything, but you're committed to learning and talking about it. And that's a huge, huge step forward. And again, it's free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody loves that word. We love free advice, right? No, and, and so I think we... So I took a couple of notes while you were speaking because I think um, these are really some hot tips that that Marlena just shared. And, you know, hopefully you all were listening. I always say, listen with your, your third eye in terms of how you can start to weave this into things you already have going on. Because every organization already has some efforts going on. You, we know we're not going to start from scratch, but there are ways that you can begin to lean in and weave some things in. So first of all, she said, recognize that you're not going to solve it overnight. So take the pressure off. There's no ideal solution. Love that. I love that. The second piece is acknowledge that there is a challenge and that you're just going to be committed to it and being open to that. That's fantastic. Third, share with your people. I call that co-creation, right? So we always talk about here at Arrow Bodies, when you're going to go after an initiative or start something, we have to find champions within the organization to help us lead it. Because quite frankly, your people don't know us from Adam as a consultant. And so they're going to look at us like, duh, who are you? And why? who invited you? And I'm not interested in talking to you. So you have to co-create. They have to be a part of the solution. She also said, be visible with your efforts that you're making. So constantly talk about it. And I love this thread because we talk about this a lot in the well-being space. You know, when we were in COVID and we were asked to stand up these programs to, you know, support leaders who were just falling apart at the seams, mental health, you name it. Kids are home all of a sudden. You're like, I'm supposed to work and you're here. Like it was really tough, right? So it's really, really, really important that the leadership and team leads and managers Make sure that you put this in every communication you have you you have going out there. So if you're starting a new DEI initiative or a well-being initiative or an engagement initiative, talk about it in your roundups on Monday. Talk about it in your close-ups on Friday. Talk about it in your you know state of the the company releases or your newsletters. I mean, keep talking about it because the more you talk about it, as she said, the more you're going to point to a solution. Fifth, she says survey, we say assessment, but the bottom line is get the feedback. Get the feedback, and then finally. Be continuous in your efforts. So those were some fantastic gems. I would love to touch you all day. We can't do that. So I'm going to round this down because I have two more questions before I let you go, Marlena. Yeah. So the first is um, we're in a new year, right? Lots of exciting things going on. I love to find out, you know, what are you most excited about that you're championing at P20? Anything you'd like to share with us? Because I know you have a lot of things. She has this really cool. I hope she mentions this because then I have to go. <laughs> you don't mention it. But she's got this really cool product. So what are you most excited about in 2024 you want to share with us? I am so excited about this new tool that I built. So you mentioned this product. It's called P20 Workplace. And what it is is a digital platform. So I describe it as a sort of Netflix of DEI and leadership learning. And my goal behind it was, doing a couple of the things that we talked about, making something that's super accessible, making something that allows for continuous conversation and continuous learning, um, and something that allows for people to be on different stages of the journey within an organization and be able to get the support they need. And so it's a membership type model, right, where an organization essentially subscribes all of their people within their company to have access to this platform. And on the platform, you have tons and tons and tons of short videos under seven minutes on specific topics that allows you to get five minutes, you know, when you're in between meetings or on your way to work. 
and just get a little bit smarter, a little bit smarter, a little bit smarter. And it's this idea that little hinges swing big doors. And with every little piece of information or knowledge that we gain or exposure, we become better colleagues, we become better leaders, and our workplaces improve. So it's a really exciting platform. I'm so excited about it. And the other important reason or driver behind it was seeing so many smaller and medium-sized organizations that felt they didn't have the resources to invest in DEI and seeing it as it's, well, it's a big company thing and we're just not there. And and what can we do? We don't have the resources and the money. And so I wanted to build a platform that was accessible to companies of all sizes, you know, large and small, because this work needs to be accessible and approachable, both from a financial way, but also from a sort of psychological, emotional way. And so how can we create a space where we have candid conversations, learning that does not feel exhausting and box ticking, that's dynamic, and it brings together experts from all different fields, from leadership coaches to employment lawyers to unconscious bias trainers, to really push the limits on how we learn about these topics and do it in a way that feels comfortable and growth-oriented. I think it's fantastic. I love that that tagline, little hint, uh, small hinges swing big doors. I think it's fantastic because when people think about DEI, it's this big, laborious, burdensome, heavy elephant that nobody wants to to go there on, you know. And and it's interesting because I think people who sit on the other side of the lens of the you know non subjugated groups of people. Guess what? The subjugated groups of people, we don't want to talk about it either because it's the elephant for everybody. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Really. Yeah. So I think it's wonderful what you created with this. The little, you know, like you said, the little uh, Netflix seven minute learnings on something so big and so ginormous. So kudos, congratulations to you on that because that's phenomenal that you've created Thank this. Thank you. Thank you. And before we wrap, one thing I'm asking all of my guests that I really want to know, how are you embracing and how will you embrace well-being personally in 2024? I have really, really big goals and ambitions for 2024, um, ones that I'm really excited about. And... I know that I have a tendency to overwork. I have a tendency to get really excited about things and just work, work, work. And I want to get this thing done. And I want to. And I learned over my my many years in in corporate America that that you can't do without the moments of pause, without the walks, without a day where I just go and I sit at a cafe and I read a book, right? And so my commitment to to wellness is really built on years of having developed that relationship with my body. And I, I will talk about my body from a wellness perspective, because I had, I had shut off my, um, the communication between my body and my head for so long. When you're in that burnout mode or when you're working so much, you're just pushing, 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 you're, you're over caffeinating, you're under extra, you know, all the things. And so, you know, over these years, I've developed the relationship with my body to be able to listen and say, oh, time for a break. Oh, time for a walk. Oh, time to zone out and watch a show. Right. And so um, that's my commitment to wellness in, in 2024 is continuing as I do all this work and I care about it and I'm excited and, and I'm publishing things and I'm recording videos to also listen to my body. What does it need? What does it want? What is it asking from me? We can't forget that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> my body. What does it need? What does it want? What is it asking yeah. for? 
That's a great place to end. I love that. Oh, Marlene, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> Such a great conversation. Well, you're, you're my people. You're my tribe. I love talking about well-being and people who are trying to transform and make themselves better. Such a big, yeah. big thing. I'm really this year into yeah. just being very intentional around that and no more drainers, only sustainers. That's my Oh, I like that. No more drainers, only sustainers. So I love it. So I like that a lot. No more drainers, <laughs> only sustainers. That's good. I, I'm committing to being a lot more visible. I think I've hidden a lot behind, you know, I was just hidden a lot. And so this year I'm doing a big push to share more of my idea. I do so much research and so much reading and so much thought and conversations around this. And I just, I, I need to be sharing that out because people want to hear it and they want support and they want ideas. And so yeah, I'm just going to be a lot more visible, put myself out there, lots of videos, lots of YouTube. We'll see how it yeah. goes. I love that you said that. And I think, again, that's a great nugget for people to take away. No matter what position you're sitting in a company or what you do for a living or why you listen to the optimized workplace is that you know, sometimes we hide and we're not visible and for whatever story we tell ourselves around that. But just think about the last great purchase you made, whether it was a product or a service or an engagement, an experience, product, service or an experience. If the creator of that product, service or experience decided to hide and felt like their idea was didn't need to be shared because they were afraid, you would never have had that experience or bought that product, or had that service. So yeah. remember that when it comes to your own. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Merlina, for being on The Optimized Workplace. It's been great to have you. Thank you, Fran. It's always great to chat with you. And I'm excited to see what we both do this year because the workplace needs it. It's going to be very exciting. And for all of you who listened to us today, remember, I'm Fran Dean Bishop of The Optimized Workplace and creator of Wealthy Culture. If you're interested in how to create a great workplace experience for your team in 2024, head on over to wellteamculture.com to learn a little bit more. We'll have all the notes from um, Merlina's website and the product that she shared in the show notes. And one last thought, remember, it's many and that small monumental moments that make the biggest difference in your life. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.